So remember, don't be late next Sunday. So obviously, set your clocks on Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening. Just make sure you check with your wife before you do it. So hey, if you've uh, brought your tithes and offerings with you this morning, uh, we go ahead in just a moment. We're going to receive those. Um, but before we do that, there's a couple things I, I wanted to mention. Uh, one of those is, uh, and when I pray for our offering, I'm also going to pray for our young people who are headed back down the mountain from camp this weekend. They had a great time and lots of snow up in Big Bear. In fact, the snow started 15 minutes after they arrived, so they timed it perfectly. So they got a great opportunity to, to enjoy snow, but most importantly, to uh, allow the Lord to impact them as they pull themselves out of the normal routine of life and so they can hear his voice more clearly and experience the impact that he wants to make in their lives. Also, as you know, if you've been a part of the church and recently, we are in the process called Right Size, transitioning our building, and we are in in the process of purchasing a building. In fact, this last Thursday, we officially opened escrow on the building. So we're in escrow right now, moving forward. So, and just as we, we... we consider this and pray, and we'll, we'll be more and more updates and transition, all the things that are happening. One of the things that you and I need to constantly remind ourselves is that this is a building process that's not about a building. You've heard me say this, but we have to remind ourselves because there's a tendency to become building-focused. And it's really not a building, it's a vehicle and a vessel that God wants to use. If we look at the runway property as the end or the destination, then we've missed what God's doing. What God is doing is he's opened a doorway for us to purchase a building that gives us enough rental income to offset our expenses so that we'll save $17,000 a month on building, which means that's $17,000 a month that we can actually invest in mission and ministry, which we're not able to do right now. So it's not just about owning a building, which is really cool. It's not just about moving to another building, which is really cool. It's about getting a vehicle that opens the door for God to continue to move us forward. So keep that in mind. We are purchasing a vehicle, not a building, okay? Can you just be reminded of that? And as you know, part of that process is not only the purchase, but it's the upfront money, and that's why we've been walking through the right-size process. In fact, in your, in your bulletin, there's a right-size pledge card, and many of you already turned these in. Uh, some of you are turning them in today, but we are endeavoring by, by faith and trust in the Lord and the generosity that we're going to pour out to raise $600,000 in the next six months in order to get the upfront cost covered in this transition period. So what I'd like you to do, if you haven't filled one out, is to fill one out and, and pray. Uh, obviously, you should have by this time prayed about what God's asked you to give. But one point of clarification uh, as you're filling the card out, if you grab that just so you, you see what's in front of you, is that this week you might have, if you already put turn in a card, some of you received a phone call because we want to make clear that down at the bottom it says total amount. And then underneath that it has some boxes you check, you check off. That total amount is the total amount that you are planning on giving or pledging to give over the next six months, the whole thing, the total amount that you're going to give. Underneath that tells you how you're going to give that. So I'm going to give X amount of dollars, and I'm going to do that by giving weekly or giving monthly, or I'm going to do it in a one-time gift. So we're going to make sure that we have accurate information on all the pledges that are being given. So make sure that when you fill that out that you understand that. But as we move forward in this, it's exciting. We're going to continue to press forward in this. But we know that God is, is stretching us. God is pushing us. If I had people come up to me and tell me stories about how they, they, you know, God gave them amount and they knew that that's not something they could do. They don't have the money in the bank account. And even this last week, someone said, God miraculously supplied all of what I pledged, which is crazy. 
when we trust God, he's going to pour out his generosity through us, but we have to be willing to give. And just one reminder as before I pray, when we give to right size, we are giving over and above our tithe. We're not shifting our tithe to right size. We're actually giving an additional offering on top of it. That's why it's called sacrificial giving. Now you're thinking, I know I heard that pastor, John, you'd be amazed at how many times people don't, they just, oh, I'll just shift my tithe. It's all about giving sacrificially and investing in what God is doing. Let's go ahead and pray as we prepare to give. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have invited us to be a part of your kingdom, your family, and your mission. And Lord, we know that that part of that is our giving. And when we come to give this morning, we give our tithes and offerings, Lord, we give towards right size. We know that this is not only just giving towards the practical realities of ministry and church, but Lord, more importantly, this is the opportunity for us to invest in your kingdom financially, giving back, Lord, part of what you've already given to us. So Lord, as we give this morning, we want to see, Lord, your kingdom extended through what you're doing through us. We want to see, Lord, your resource poured out into the lives of people. We want to see this vehicle over on Runway Street become something that helps us facilitate our mission, not something that anchors us from it. So, Lord, as we walk through this, build our faith, Lord, increase our generosity. Let us see your hand in all that you are doing. As well, Lord, as the kids head back down the mountain today, the young people who have been up with the leaders, I pray that, Lord, the things that you have done on the mountain would translate to life in the valley. That, Lord, what they experienced there would not stay there, but it would come with them, and their lives would be new and changed and transformed, Lord, by what you've done over this weekend. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are here and you are working in our lives in your name. Amen. If you're sitting on this side, if you go ahead and grab uh, the basket that's underneath the seat there at the edge of the aisle and pass that, as you pass that across, the ushers will collect that uh, as it gets across the sanctuary. And as well as you're doing that, if you would go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to jump into the the next portion of, of Scripture in Matthew 6. As you know, kind of the background, we are walking through a long process of embracing Jesus' teaching through the book of Matthew and the different high points of his teaching. Uh, This whole series is called Disciple. And within this broad series, there's like a lot of little mini-series that are part of different topics that Jesus is touching on. Uh, Today, we're going to start one of those, uh, and that has to do with the concept of prayer. If you were here last week, you know John Looney did a great job talking about the goal of giving and really the underlying motivation when we give, and and that really kind of sets up what Jesus talks about in the rest of chapter 6, because he talks a lot about, about what people do publicly and how there's a disconnect from what they experience privately, and what's most important is what's really done privately, and so we'll talk about that this morning. But, you know, if, if I had the ability, and I probably wouldn't do this, I would look at it, but I wouldn't let everybody else look at it, but if I had the ability right now to to read your mind, which would be kind of scary. But when I just told you that the topic is going to be prayer, that immediately in your mind, the first thought that came to your mind popped up like one of those little you know, balloons that come up above a cartoon character's head, you know, and it tells you what they're thinking, little dot, 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 that probably, most likely, more than 50% of us were not overly excited about the fact that we were going to talk about prayer. And you think, well, that's not me, that's not me. But, you know, majority of us don't. We, we have this, sometimes on the strongest side, it's an aversion to prayer, And on the other side, it's more of a misunderstanding of prayer. So when it comes to this topic, it's not one of the top things that we want to actually hear about. But as we learn to follow Jesus, we become his disciple. Jesus talks about things that are extremely important. And one of those is prayer. That's why we're going to take this week and the next two weeks to talk about it. Because he addresses some really important things. And today we're going to talk about, much like what John started with last week, the underlying motivation when it comes to prayer. And the reason this is so important is if you and I would just pause for a second and think about what prayer is. 
Prayer is this amazing gift that the God of the universe gives to you and I and says, you have, because of what Jesus did on the cross, his death covers our sin and failure, even though we're not good enough to connect with God. We can connect with God and actually have a conversation with the God of the universe who created us. That's what prayer is. That's relatively important in our lives. And what's crazy is that God loves us so much that he's made a way for us to be able to connect with him. And that's why prayer is so important. But usually prayer is the thing that we feel awkward about. Prayer is the thing that publicly we don't want to do. In fact, maybe you've experienced this like me. You know, you're, you're hanging out with a bunch of people who know Jesus. And maybe you're at a restaurant or maybe you're at a family gathering. And everybody gets their, their food. And then there's that moment of awkwardness. Where everybody's waiting for somebody to pray or a volunteer to pray and nobody does. Anybody experience that? And who is the one that ends up praying? It's the person who actually is the last person who really wants to. And they kind of get pushed to the forefront and says, hey, would you pray? And out of obligation, you go, well, yeah, I guess I'll pray. Or if you're like, you know, when I was younger with all my friends, like our basketball team, we were notorious for this. We'd go out for a restaurant and we'd all get our food. And then everybody would put their thumbs up. And the last guy who put his thumbs up was the guy who had to pray. It's like, I get to speak to the God of the universe. Why? Because I was the slowest one to get my thumbs up. And that's what prayer becomes to us. It's this awkward, this thing, this thing that we don't understand, the thing that, that makes us feel publicly, especially it makes us feel self-conscious. We don't think about what we're saying. And we'll talk a little bit about that. When really what it is, it's a conversation between us and God. It's the communication that God has given us, that we can talk to the God of the universe, which is a whole lot more than just having to say kind of a, typical prayer at a mealtime, or maybe pray when somebody forces you to pray, but actually being excited enough to say, I get to engage the God of the universe. So with that understanding, let's go ahead and let me read verses 5 through 8 of Matthew chapter 6, and then we'll talk about what Jesus says to us today. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is seen or unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard, heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So let's take some time to walk through this, but before we even get into the details of the verses, that you need to understand that, that, that there's a huge assumption that Jesus is making when he addresses the people he's talking to, which just wasn't just a group of people gathered on a hillside 2,000 years ago. It's us today that he's addressing as well. And this is assumption that he makes. He mentions it in verse 5 and verse 6, and he says this phrase, when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray, which is what we would prefer that he would say, that it's an option that we can take or leave. He says, basically, if you're a follower of me, if you desire to know God, if you desire to, to, to engage in a relationship with me, experience my forgiveness, then you will be somebody who prays. It is part of the package. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus is that we pray. So it's important to understand that that means all of us pray. All of us talk to God. All of us engage Him. All of us have the opportunity to, to connect with the God of the universe through this thing called prayer. Not just the person up front, not just the thing, person we think is spiritual, not just the pastor, but all of us. So Jesus says, when you do this, when you communicate with me, when you communicate with the God of the universe, He gives some really important instructions. And the first thing I want to touch on is our motives underneath the surface. 
and how much our motives actually influence the way that we pray or maybe the fact that we don't pray. So there's some questions I want to ask about our motives. And the the first question comes out of verse 5 and that we question our motives is ask this question of yourself. Are you performing for others instead of focusing on God? Now, we're right now we're talking about kind of the public arena. And so Jesus says this phrase in verse 5. He says, do not be like the hypocrites. And if you recall, what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite was a Greek actor who had the ability to, within the context of a play, do such a great job as an actor, they could convince people that what they were doing was real. Even though it wasn't consistent with who they were in real life, they were able to play or act as though they were somebody different than they were in real life and did it in such a convincing fashion, people would be amazed. That's a hypocrite. So Jesus is basically saying, when it comes to prayer, don't perform. Don't put on a show for everybody around you to look at you and think, wow, man, they're amazing. They're so deeply and profoundly spiritual. And they say great big words that nobody can understand. And I'm in awe of the fact of how they prayed. See, that's what Jesus is saying is that's what the hypocrites used to do, is that they were performing. They weren't, they weren't really communicating with God. They were just putting on a performance for anyone who would want to see or want to hear or want to experience what they were doing. And so because of that, they were never really concerned with connecting with God. They were just concerned with performing before people. And you, you and I have a tendency to do that. We go to one or two extremes. We think about people so much when we pray publicly, we do one of two things. We think how we're going to say things and try to impress people, or we think how we're going to say things so we don't look like an idiot. We do. We're so worried about what are they going to think when I say this, or if I stumble over my words, or if I don't say the right thing. And so what happens is you and I embrace prayer only as a pure performance before people around us. You and I have to understand that's what Jesus is saying. Don't do that. You're missing the point. And when you do that, that's why prayer becomes that awkward thing. Prayer becomes that thing where you get nervous. It's the thing that you, you, you're, you're wanting to avoid somehow. Let somebody else do it because I don't want to do it because I'm afraid I'm going to look bad or I'm not going to say the right thing. It's the same kind of nervousness that you and I have all experienced. Anybody remember in elementary school when you had to do reading out loud? Anybody like me and hated that? I hated reading out loud. I also hated public speaking. That's why I'm a pastor. That's God's sense of humor. <laughs> but I remember I was always a year behind in reading. And so I was stuck in a class, and so I never could really read well publicly. And, but I remember you get in the classroom, and then the teacher says, okay, open a page, whatever, of your textbook, and we're going to read these pages. And everybody in the room's like, oh, you could hear like the huge, like heavy, you know, weight that's just been put on everybody's shoulders. And then the first kid starts to read, and then you know if she's going alphabetical or if she's going around the room or whatever. So then as soon as the first person starts to read, you remember this is what happens. Nobody's paying attention to what they're reading. Because what are you doing? You're counting paragraphs. That's what you're doing. You're counting the paragraphs to see which one you land on. And if maybe if you're like me, I know it's always the huge paragraph that you get, right? It's the one that's half a page. It's like the one in front of it is like two lines. You're like, can I just please, can I switch chairs with you so I can have the small paragraph? So what do we do? We're so worried about how we're going to sound when we read. We don't hear anything. So our reading comprehension is zero. Because we're not paying attention. Because we're what? Consumed with how we're going to come off when we read and hoping we won't get the big words. See, we do the same thing with prayer. We don't want to pray because we don't want to look bad because really what prayer has become is not about God. It's about me. It's about how I look and how embarrassed I am if I say the wrong things. And so Jesus is saying, don't be like the hypocrites. 
Don't map out what you're going to say so you sound impressive. Don't do the performance thing. Because you and I have to remember, prayer is not a performance. It is a communication with the God of the universe. Which is the second question that comes to you and I about our motives. So well as, as well in verse 5, and that is, do you love the praise of people over the praise of God? Because Jesus goes on, he says, for they love, talking about the hypocrites, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. What is he saying? He says the hypocrites would go out in public and they would pray and people would go, wow. And they'd give them the pat on the back and they'd praise them from how amazing they could pray. And that would be it. Jesus is saying, when you do that, you have received the fullness of the reward that you've gone after. You have received the acclaim of people. You've received the praise. You've become the object of their worship because you've done something great. And the sad thing is, is when that becomes the focus, our reward is it. That's it. You get the pat on the back. Why? Because you become a performer. And what's tragic is it's not just about prayer. It's about life. Some of us go through our Christian faith and the entire journey of our faith is just one big performance. And every single day you get out of bed, you get up that day and you think about how you're going to look to people around you, both Christians and non-Christians. How you're going to perform today. Are you going to be a good enough person? Are you going to make people convinced that you're spiritual and you're righteous? And so your life becomes absolutely exhausting because you're disconnected from what's inside of you. And nothing is real. It's all on the outside and you're just performing. And performing is exhausting because performing means you can never really be who you are. You always have to be what you think people want you to be. And we do that in prayer, and we, we miss the point, and we don't see that we're, we're connecting with God. And again, so what we're doing is we're looking for the pat on the back. I told you a number of years ago, I was doing a, a prayer. I had to do kind of the, the big oversight, oversight prayer for the kickoff of a Relay for Life. They were raising money for, for cancer research in Newburgh, and so they asked me to come. There's hundreds of people around this track, and they're kicking it off, and they asked me to pray. And in my life, I'd never done it before, but I thought, well, I'm praying in front of a lot of people. I better make sure I know what I'm praying about. So I actually wrote out my prayer. I'd never done that before. And I remember when I finished writing it out, I read it back. I thought, that is one good prayer. I'm just being honest with you. I was impressed with myself. I said, man, they're going to be wild when I pray to kick that baby off. They're going to think, wow, no one's ever prayed like that before. And I got there that night, and I got up, and they said, they gave me the microphone, they introduced me, and then I prayed, and I read, and I was praying and kind of keeping my eyes closed to act spiritual, but I was really reading my notes, and then I finished, and then they kicked it off. And then I remember walking around the track saying hi to people. Some people from our church were there, and not one person said anything about my prayer. Nobody said, wow, that was amazing. Now I'm going to walk faster and raise more money for cancer because you prayed. Nobody said anything because nobody was impressed. I was impressed with myself, but nobody was impressed with my prayer because maybe they got it and I didn't. Maybe they realized my conversation was between me and God and not them. They were just eavesdropping on a conversation I was having with God. See, it's hard sometimes because you and I live in a culture and also in a church culture, which whether we want to admit it or not, we put a, we put a premium on performance. We actually value hypocrisy in our culture. We put a high value on it. In fact, the ultimate value of hypocrisy that you and I will see and where it's honored and valued the most is between about 5 and 9 p.m. tonight in Hollywood. Anybody know what's happening tonight? The Oscars. You know what's crazy? The most famous, valued, and highly paid people in our culture are what? Hypocrites. It is the person who has the ability to fool you the best that wins the award. 
That we will pay good money to go into a theater and have somebody convince us that the role that they're playing is true, even though we know deep down inside it's not. And we put them up on this pedestal, and we put them up on a stage, and millions, if not billions of people around the world watch Hollywood tonight to see who the greatest hypocrite is of them all. If Sandra Bullock can convince you that she's literally flying around in space, out of control, when she's really just in a sound studio with lots of special effects, she's good at what she does. See, we value that. That's why when we come as believers, we buy into the same mentality. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, just to be honest with you, I fight this constantly. When I get up on Sunday mornings, almost every Sunday, one of my prayers is, Oh Lord, help me not to perform today. Help me not to meet people's expectations. Because there's that load that comes on me like, oh man, I have to really make it happen today. And God reminds me and says, no, you don't. Because he will make it happen. Because the tragedy is if I get up here and all you hear are the words of John, then we've wasted our time. And all you've gotten was a great performance by a pastor, then I've wasted your time. It has to be authentically about what God is doing in prayer and in our lives, because otherwise we become the hypocrites that are just performing our Christian duty and not engaging in our relationship with the God of the universe. So then there's a third thing that you and I have to understand about our motives. Another question, and that is, are you more concerned with how you sound than what you say? So Jesus says in verse 7, he says, now he goes from the hypocrites to talks about the pagans, which are one step below, I guess, the the hypocrites. He says, when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Somehow we have equated the length of our prayer with the height of our spirituality. Anybody know somebody that you, when they pray, you're like, oh, no, really? They're going to pray for an hour. Anybody ever experienced that? Don't let them pray. I'm really hungry. Can we get the guy who prays two words? And then we can, yeah, really, not the saying that long prayers somehow are devoid of, of really authenticity and connecting with God, but sometimes we just start thinking about how the words that we can say and how we're going to say them, and we're not focusing on who we're speaking to. That's why one of the things that happens in prayer, a lot of public prayer, is that we keep repeating the name of God 50,000 times in a two-minute prayer. Father God, Father God, Father God, Jesus, Jesus. It, just, just think about it on a very practical, it's, it's not somehow, it's, I don't think it's disrespecting God, but I think it's sometimes you and I miss the point that maybe we're just creating some filler because we don't know what we're saying. When was the last time you had a, an eye-to-eye conversation with somebody and you repeated their name 15 times in a minute? They would look at you kind of strange, like, what's wrong with you? I know my name, you know it, now let's move on. But just think about that. How many times just, would Jesus talk about, what do the pagans do? They, they repeat the same words over and over and over again. There's no meaning in their words because all they're doing is repeating words. When you have a conversation that's actually engaging with another human being, you're thinking about the words that you're saying so that you can communicate effectively. Not so that they'll be somehow impressed with you. And so many times we do that, we get stuck in this, this mode of, we re- in fact, we pray the same prayer. We do when it comes to mealtime or maybe, I know what, my kids were great at catching me. But I remember when, when, when they were really young and we used to actually tuck them in and pray for them at night. I remember I caught myself. The kids could have finished my prayer. That's kind of scary. That's just repeating the same thing over and over and over again. It wasn't really engaging God in conversation and actually sharing exactly what was going on in that moment or sharing out my heart with him. But, but actually thinking about what I'm saying. 
So what is the motivation in us? And that what Jesus usually uses, he actually uses that very powerful phrase, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't perform. So how do you and I move from, from praying with really false motives and performing to actually praying with pure motives, that we actually are praying the way that God wants us to pray in, the, in that relationship with him? Look at verse 6. The first thing that Jesus tells us to do is he says that you and I need to learn to pray privately first. Again, he says the phrase, but when you pray, he says, go into your room and close the door. So when Jesus says, go into your room, he's very important for a Jewish mindset. At that time, what he was saying to them was very, very important because they understood what he meant by room. He didn't mean just any room. He meant a specific room. In their households, they would have an inner room that would be closed off for most of the rest of the house where most of their prized possessions and valuables would be stored. And Jesus was referring to that room. He's saying, go into that room and close the door. Going to, into the room where things of the most valued possessions that you have are there. And that's where you can pray privately. The most kind of quiet, secret place where the most valuable things are held. And Jesus is equating for them to understand that one of the most valuable things that they can do is not hang on to money and possessions, but it's actually to be in conversation with the God of the universe. When he says room, it's a loaded term. He says to pray privately. See, you and I have to understand one of the reasons you and I struggle to pray publicly is because we don't pray privately. See, when we engage in conversations, like on a, maybe once or twice a month, we'll do prayer groups where we'll actually get together and we'll pray together in groups of two, three, or four. And sometimes there's like groups of 10 and that's the group where only we want one person to pray because nobody else wants to pray. By the way, just so you know, I stand in the back sometimes and we watch just to see what's going on. I look for people who aren't praying and I'll go pray with them. But we'll watch and sometimes it's funny to watch people as they all think, oh man, I got to go to the bathroom, I got to get some coffee, I got to do anything but pray. I see it happen. So they're like, oh man, he sees me. Oh man, yeah, I better be careful next time, huh? I'm just kidding. I don't really look that hard, okay? Sometimes I do, but not all the time. But the reason you and I struggle publicly is because we don't have that place. We don't go to that room. We don't pray privately with God. There has to be that time and space where you and I connect with God, where there's no distractions. We're in that that place where we really can focus on. We can pray privately where it's just us and God. There's no performance. There's no need to perform because it's just us and God. We have to have that. And it means finding time and space in our schedule to do that. Almost every morning, I get up at 5 o'clock, not because I have to. The church office doesn't open until 9, which is late anyway. But I get up at 5, and there's a reason I get up at 5, because it's an hour before anybody else in my household gets up. And I do that because I know there's peace in the household. There's quiet. And there's a place that I can go, and it's just me and God. And I know I'm still waking up, and I'm still trying to focus, but I know this, in the quietness of the morning, it's just me and the Lord. And I can focus on Him. And it's, it's, nobody else has to be there. There's just those moments that sometimes for some of us, that's what, the, if you don't, you, know, you hear, probably hear people say this, but if you don't hear anything else today, but you hear this, please take this. The key to you understanding prayer is the key for you to privately pray, privately communicate to God, talk to Him. Some of the most profound times of prayer for me had nothing to do with a prayer gathering or with other people, but was just me alone with God. A number of years ago, when we were pastoring in Ventura, we had, for a season in the church's life, we had a 24-hour prayer room. And we would go through seasons where we would literally have it open 24 hours a day. And someone would be in there praying at all times. 
and people would sign up. And at first, we were like, really? All, all night long we're going to pray? And we were like, yeah. And I remember the first time around, nobody wanted to take the middle of the night. So I signed up for the 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. slot. I wish I could tell you there was more spiritual reasons, but it was just the fact that there was nobody at that time. So the first night I went, it was tiring, and I got there. And when I got into the prayer room, we kind of passed the baton as the, you know, the person who was the 1, 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. shift. They left, and I came in, and I realized how quiet it was, how peaceful the church was. And when I was driving, there was almost nobody on the road. It was as if only God and I were awake at that time. But, oh, how wonderful it was just to be before the Lord with nobody else and no distraction and just being with him. After that, I looked for the 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. slot. Because I thought, hey, I get to be alone with God and nobody else. It's like, it's like I get all God at that time. That's what it felt like, just me and him. And those were the times where I felt like I cultivated not to build it, but, but a prayer life because I got to talk to God without anybody else around. I got to connect to his heart and he connected to mine. Which then leads to the second thing that Jesus says in verse 6, is not only to pray privately, but pray personally. So Jesus intentionally says this, going on in verse 6, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Pray to your Father in heaven. He says, pray to your Father. He's using an extremely personal term, Father. God gives him name, himself the name Father for a reason, because it's a very powerful term about what a father's supposed to be. And the Father in heaven that we have, you and I have to understand, why can it be so personal? Because when you and I engage in prayer, we're engaging this conversation. Do you know who we're talking to? We're talking to the God of the universe who has created all things. The God of the universe who created you. Who knows you more than anyone. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your failures. He knows your flaws. He knows everything about you. So when you communicate with him, it is extremely personal. Because he knows you and he wants you to know him. That personal connection. And what what happens when you and I begin to realize, I am praying to the God of the universe who knows me better than anybody. So even when I'm about to say something, which we'll talk about in a few moments, he already knows what I'm going to say. He already knows what my biases are. He already knows what my addictions are. He knows what my failures are. He knows what my thoughts are. And he still chooses to love and accept me because of what Jesus did on the cross to cover my sin. That's who we talk to. It's extremely personal. He is not some distant being that doesn't have any clue on what's going on in your life. He knows everything about you. And if you and I really tapped into that and realized that we're talking to somebody who knows us better than anybody else, it would change the way we pray. He knows us. There's that reassurance in a world that can be insecure, in a world that can be unfamiliar, in a place that we can be nervous. There is a God who knows us. And he's our father. Think about that. When you've been in a place where you don't know a whole lot of people, maybe you're a little nervous, and you finally see that one person that you know, and you like lock eyes with them, like, oh, the reassurance of somebody familiar. Anybody experienced that before? To a very profound sense, I experienced that on our wedding day. When Kim and I got married, I remember we were preparing for the wedding, and it was really busy, especially a few weeks before. Kim's doing 95% of the work, and I'm struggling with my 5% of the work for the wedding. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? And we finally get to the wedding day. And we had gotten to the church early, and so Kim and all of her, the, the bridesmaids, they all went, took their pictures, and then the guys, it was our turn. And then it was like about, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes before the wedding, and we were in a side room off of the church, and, or the sanctuary, and it hit me. 
I'm getting married today. I had been so busy up to that point, it like hit me like in a few moments, I'm going to walk out on that stage. And it didn't help the fact that I peeked out the door into the sanctuary and it was packed. And all of a sudden it hit me like, I'm going to walk out in front of all these people. And I'm thinking, okay, I remember my line. I do. I can get that down. I remember my line. Okay, it's the one thing I have to do. And so I started to get extremely nervous and overwhelmed. In fact, I had two best men because I needed more than the average guy. I needed help. In fact, I remember this day, we, I was, they saw my face go white. So we're in the back room and literally we found like a, a, like a paper towel, you know, a cardboard holder uh, or roll and, and a piece of duct tape. And we played baseball in our tuxes because I was nervous. I'm like, guys, we've got to do something. And so finally time comes and we walk out and I walk up and I mean, my, my heart was going to explode out of my chest. And at that moment, I wish I could tell you it was because I was so excited to see Kim, but I was just flat out nervous. And then the doors in the back of the sanctuary opened. And in walks Kim and her dad. And when I saw her face, all of the anxiety went away. Because what hit me at that moment, I was reminded, I'm marrying my best friend. And everything was okay. I lost sight of everybody in that sanctuary. Anybody, nobody, in, I don't even remember who was sitting where because all I saw was Kim. And what's funny is after the wedding, she shared the same thing with me before the doors opened. She was nervous and then she saw me and she realized, I'm marrying my best friend. There is a friend that is closer and knows you better than even your spouse. There's someone who loves you more profoundly than any human being ever could. And he is the God of the universe. And he has said, I welcome communication and conversation. with you." He knows us. It's extremely personal. He is not some distant being that doesn't know. He knows everything about us. Which leads to the third thing. The third thing that helps us to have pure motives is that we learn to pray. This is now to a deeper level. Verse 6 going on. To pray intimately. Because then Jesus goes on. He says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The phrase secret is important because what Jesus is describing is something that only you and God experience together. That's the definition of intimacy. Something that you share, the deepest profound level of who you are that you share with another human being that you share with nobody else. You and I have that with God in prayer. That deep profound connection that I have an experience in my prayer life with Jesus alone apart from anybody else that is different than what I experience with other people. Because he knows the fullness of whom I am and it is exposed in that moment and there's nothing that I hold back and he fully accepts me. That's that connection. Prayer is not just the words that we say, it's the experience that we have. There's a deep and profound intimacy that God desires for us to experience. That's the beauty of the cross. See, we are flawed human beings who sin and because of our sin we're separated from God but Jesus death on the cross covers our sin takes the the punishment that we deserve why so that we can be fully known by God and fully know God that's incredible that we could be at that level of deep and profound intimacy Jesus and the father experienced this when Jesus walked the earth listen to mark Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 35, talked about how Jesus, the rhythm of his life, he says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus did this ongoingly. He had a place where it was just him and the Father. Nobody else, no disciples, no, no multitudes, no people with him, just he and the Father communicating and connecting. 
Now, if Jesus, being the God of the universe in human flesh, walking the planet, needs that, I think you and I need it too. And what Jesus is describing, what he did, and what he is saying about going and doing what is in secret, is not just a daily devotional time. It may not even just be getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning to pray. What he's talking about is a rhythm of life that many of us never experience. One of the things that you and I are guilty of is that we live lives that are too fast-paced. We cram our lives so full of things that what happens is over time, God becomes an add-in. He's not central. He's additional. And when that happens, we lose out on this deep connection he desires to have with us. And that's dangerous because many of us never tap in to who God really is because we never give him enough time to do so. And I have a confession for you. I, I have been guilty of something that, that prior to moving back down to California, prior to like the last year or so, I've been very good in a rhythm of life that over the last year I have failed miserably in. When we were up in Oregon, about every four, maybe six to eight weeks, I had scheduled a day away that I would go just buy Bible and, and Jesus and just pray and just let God speak to me. Just gave him my time uninterrupted. I would go to a monastery where it was pretty quiet. All you hear is some monks kind of shuffling by periodically. Just me and Jesus. I hadn't done that for a year. And that's not good. Until a week and a half ago, we're coming through the middle of this right size, and it's still ramping up, but we just come through the fast, and I had scheduled like about a month and a half before to go away, and I kept looking at my calendar, and it said solitude, which that's my time away. I'm thinking there's no way I can do this. There's just too much going on with the church and the building and everything else. I can't do this, and I kept telling Kim I probably should cancel. She goes, no, you can't cancel. You have to do it. So that Tuesday night when we gathered at the church, and we were worshiping, we had communion, I was sitting right here in the front row, and I was, just, I was stressed out completely. I'm thinking, God, I, I don't have time. You know what's all in my schedule. I don't have time to, to go away for a night and then a day. And, and the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, really? Going and spending time with the God of the universe? There, you have something more important than to do that? And I was sitting here and actually I went down and sat on my, I started sobbing. It's like, how have I, as a pastor, how could I miss that? How could I forget that the most important thing that I can do for me, for my wife, for my kids, for the church is not worry about the building, but to spend time with Jesus and let him transform me. And so I did. I drove out on Wednesday night to the Oaks camp where the men's retreat's going to be. And I remember driving thinking, ah, it's just so busy. And I got there and I was away from everything and I just listened. When was the last time for an extended period of time you were just silent before God? You didn't say anything to him. You just let him speak through pictures, through words, through scripture, through impressions of the Holy Spirit. When was the last time that happened? See, the reason that it's a challenge is for many of us, our context of prayer is a list. It's either a list that you and I feel obligated to pray. I have to pray for all the people that I said I will pray for because I feel guilty if I don't. Or it's the list of God, this is what I need from you. And that's the context of prayer. But sometimes we're so busy with our list that we honestly, we never shut up long enough to listen. How hard is that? When you and I have a conversation, we ask somebody a question. Do we ever pause to listen for an answer? You and I ask God questions all the time, but we never pause to listen for an answer. And I've learned in my life, it's, the issue is never God's voice. The issue is John's ear. That's the problem. He speaks all the time. But am I slowing down enough? And listen, by the way, you don't have to be a pastor to go and find a solitary place. That should be the rhythm of every follower of Jesus. 
that you take a time out in your busy schedule and you take a day and you go away and you find space and time and say, I am going to be alone to let God speak to me above the fray. That's one of the reasons, and it's a little different, but that's why I love retreats and camps. That's why I'm so stoked that we sent a bunch of kids to camp. Because they got out of the normal routine of life and they had to go up to a mountain. Yeah, there's snow. Yeah, there's other kids. But they're not in the normal noise of their life. And there's something that happens when we get out of that rhythm and we go to a solitary place to listen to God. There's a level of intimacy that God desires with us that sometimes I don't think we can achieve in our normal rhythm of life. You just can't do it. There's too much noise around us. So we need to learn to pray intimately. And then final thing in verse 8, as far as our motives, is that we need to learn to pray dependently. So Jesus says, Do not be like them, For your father knows what you need before you ask him. He already knows what you need. Now, before I talk about even the specifics of of what I think what Jesus is talking about, let me just give you a little aside here about needs and wants. Because this is some of the, the difficulty that we have when it comes to prayer. Some of us have given up on prayer because we've given up on God. And the reason we've given up on God is because in our life, we have presented to God a list of what we want not what we need. We've come before him repeatedly and we say, this is what I need, this is what I need. And God, if you're God, you have to do this. You have to show up. And so we put him in this box and we put him in this corner and we basically say, you have to perform for me or you're not God. That is not prayer. That is not the engagement with people who are engaged with the God in the universe. That is the relationship between the finder of the lamp and the genie that comes out. And they're very different. And we have to be careful that we don't treat God like the genie in the sky, that all his, his whole responsibility is to give me what I think I need, but it's really what I want. I have never seen a person become disappointed with God when they've seen God meet their needs. I've seen lots of people become disappointed with God when they've confused a need with a want. What do you and I really need? Let's just be honest. We don't need money. We don't need a house. We don't need clothes. We don't need any of that. God will provide it and he takes care of us. But what do you and I really need? We need salvation. We need forgiveness. We need mercy. We need grace. We need Jesus. That's what we need. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks when Jesus reminds us, seek first who? His kingdom, his righteousness, not... Before that, he talks about all the stuff we worry about, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, all those kinds of things. And he says, stop worrying about that. What do you really need? You need my kingdom, my righteousness in your life. That's the priority. And the reason I say that is because my heart breaks for people who've become bitter at God because he hasn't given them what they wanted. And they've missed the point. And what happens when you and I begin to intimately connect with God, your prayers change. Because your heart changes and God gets a hold of you in such a way that you start praying differently. You stop praying about things that you used to pray about all the time because you're continually going after God to give me what I want, give me what I want. And now you start to pray according to his will, according to what he wants. Your prayer life begins shaped by that. Because he understands what you need before you ask. So let's get to what Jesus is saying. Why in the world then do we bother praying? If he already knows what we need, then why do I have to go through the whole routine of praying? It seems kind of silly. Because what God wants from you and I is an understanding and acknowledgement of what he already knows is true. 
Do you know that's what confession is? When you and I confess our sin, God's not surprised. Just so you know. He already knows. But he's waiting for our acknowledgement. There's something in the process of us acknowledging the fact that we are in need and we can't do it on our own that changes the way we understand ourselves and God. That's the process of prayer. God is so amazing. He understands and knows everything. There's nothing that gets by him. In fact, just for a moment, I want you to understand. Let me, I'm going to read Colossians 1, verse 16 17. I just want you to close your eyes because I want you to hear as a reminder of who Jesus is. He's the God of the universe and who he is and who we're praying to and how he already knows what's going on because he over, he's over all things. So Paul says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Just let those words settle in for a moment. That's who we're praying to. The one who holds all things together, who was before all things. God has this amazing ability and capacity that you and I could not possibly understand. He's before all things. He's before time. You know, before the clock started, before we started to argue about how old the earth is and when everything, Jesus, or God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were always here. They're always here. There wasn't this starting point for them. That means they're outside of our understanding of time. But Jesus made a decision to come into time when he became human, a human being. But what's amazing, the reason that God knows our needs before we ask them is because God looks down on us and he sees the beginning, the middle, and the end all at the same time. He sees all things. He's sovereign. He knows everything. He knows what's coming next, even though you and I don't. And that's why I'm convinced that the part of the process of prayer is that God is waiting for you and I to acknowledge something that we're going to need. And he knows when we're going to need it. He's just waiting for us to ask for it. He knows the crossroads of our life. He knows what's going to happen next. And he's, he, I believe he's orchestrated things by his sovereignty to get us to a place where we have to acknowledge, I need you. I can't do it on my own. But there are many of those crossroads that you and I come to and we never ask for help. We never ask for the need. We're too busy over here asking for what we want. We never ask for the need. Happens all the time. Now, sometimes I wish I had God's capacity to see all things at once. And especially right now with Courtney and Jordan, both have their permit. They're learning to drive. And so every time Kim and I get in the car with them, there's the, it's the adventure of driving. Any parents relate to that? And they're doing really well and they're learning. But, you know, there's a steep learning curve when you're first getting behind the wheel. It's one thing to see it in a book, but it's another thing to get behind the wheel. And so they're learning as we go. And so you, I'm constantly like on like radar to see what's going on around me. And so trying to anticipate what's happening, not only to try to help them avoid disaster, but looking for opportunities when we cross certain intersections or certain things happen of moments that they're going to need to learn something by experience. So one of those moments happened this last week. Courtney was driving to school and she was doing well. And we're coming up to turn right to go towards her school. And as we're coming up to the corner, I can see that there's a pedestrian walking on the sidewalk. And the timing of their walking is probably going to be about the same time we get to the corner. So she's coming up on the corner and there's other cars that are waiting to turn left onto the street. And there were cars turning right and she's going to turn right. So there's a lot going on and I'm watching and I'm waiting and I don't want to say anything Everything within me wanted to say, Courtney, don't forget the pedestrian on the side of the road. Look for the pedestrian. I just said, shut up. Just don't say anything. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And just as we get to the corner, the girl who's walking on the sidewalk steps into the street and she stops. 
because she's like panicking. She's not sure because there's cars there. Courtney's right here. And Courtney stops. And then she turns to me and she says, Dad, what am I supposed to do? I said, that's a perfect question. As the girl's staring at us because she doesn't know what to do, I said, the pedestrian always has the right of way. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. So we're, stand, we're sitting there while traffic's backing up behind us. And this girl is five feet into the street. And she's looking at us. She's looking at other cars. And we're all waiting. I wanted to get out of the car and say, please move. And finally, she realized, I'm the pedestrian. I have the right. So she walked across. And then Courtney proceeded to turn. I said, you did well. I love that opportunity because I knew she was going to get into a situation where she was going to ask for help. But instead of me preempting it and saying, hey, let me tell you what you're going to need to do and do it now, I was waiting for her to acknowledge the fact that she was in a situation where she needed my help. God does that all the time, constantly. Our lives are orchestrated with all kinds of opportunities where God has said, I know what you need before you ask, but I'm going to need you to ask for it. Because it's in the asking that you and I begin to realize, okay, I need God. I need someone greater than me. And that changes the way we pray. Because something happens when we're asking for a need as opposed to a want. That need goes deep to our soul. It's something that God knows that we need. Because it changes the way we pray. So as we walk through these next few weeks of prayer, I want us to begin to shift in our understanding of prayer. God wants us to connect with Him. God wants us to communicate with Him. God is waiting for a conversation with His people. But you and I have to say yes to the invitation. You and I have to be willing to understand who we're praying for and that we're not praying for other people, that we're praying to God. And especially when we pray publicly, be reminded you are praying to Jesus, not the crowd. You are not praying to the people in your prayer group. You are not praying to the people in the restaurant. You are praying to the God of the universe who wants to have a conversation with you. Everybody else is just eavesdropping. So let's pray. I'm going to let you eavesdrop on my conversation with God. Can we do that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for talking about something that we miss or confuse or avoid. That you want us to talk to you. You want us to communicate. You want us to be intimate and private and deeply connected with you. You want to reward us for what's done in secret. And I pray, Jesus, today we would understand who we're talking to. That when we feel that sense of awkwardness or fear about praying, oh, Lord, by your spirit, would you just remind us that we're talking to you. We're talking to somebody who knows us more than anyone, who understands us, who's forgiven us, who's accepted us, who's died for us. And in that reality, that prayer would not be something that is overwhelming or fearful, or nervous, or something we avoid. But Lord, it's something that we embrace. So Lord, I pray this week that as we live out our lives, would you change the rhythm of life for us? Would you change the way that we pray? Would you change the way that we understand our communication and connection with you? That we will want to be drawn away to time where we can just be alone with you, where we'll realize that we can engage with you any moment of the day because you're here, you're present you're involved in our lives, that you are waiting for us to ask for the help that we need. And the result, Lord, wouldn't just be that somehow we pray more or we pray better. That's not the point. But that we would connect more deeply and intimately and profoundly with you in our lives. 
thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you for opening the door of communication between us and the Father. Thank you that you are working in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.